Hey guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project podcast. Listening more specifically to a series of riffs that I am doing on various topics pertaining to the 1920s. And the reason I'm talking at length about the 1920s in in a disorganized way, and sorry incidentally for the sounds of construction, and the reason we're talking about it today is because I'm amazed to find that I am nearing the end of a gigantic research project. I'm going to start editing the first draft. I'm launching into the second draft of Cuba Tooth in January, and when I'm editing that material, I'm going to have to have some kind, some degree of quote-unquote expertise about the time period. Like, it's not going to work if I have to keep darting back and forth to my resources. So, I'm prompting myself with various topics, and I'm just going to riff on them. We did Al Capone, we did Prohibition itself in an abbreviated way, and today is supposed to be U.S. presidents, because in the 1920s, we had a lot of them. Started with Woodrow Wilson, Wilson gave way to Warren G. Harding, Harding had a heart attack, like, a little more than halfway into his first term. After that, we got his vice president, Calvin Coolidge, who finished Harding's term and was re-elected. And then after Coolidge, we had Herbert Hoover. Herbert Hoover was a finance guy. I was reading a book this morning uh, called 1920. Uh, I think the subtitle is The Year That Made the Decade Roar, which is not true. But there's a chapter in that book about sort of the advent of radio. The results of the 1920 election, in which Warren G. Harding defeat his opponent, a guy named Cox. It is interesting that Warren G. Harding's opponent was a guy named Cox because and Warren G. Harding kept getting in trouble with his penis. He was a flagrant, rampant adulterer. He got his mistress pregnant. He had sex with someone in a White House closet. The, the, the results of that election in 1920 were the first election results to ever have been broadcast live on the radio. Not many people had radio. There weren't very many stations. But as I was reading that account of how like government the government had to start regulating the airwaves over the next couple years and it must have been so weird to start to come up with regulations for something that was like in the air like how do you govern sound this talking box as everyone called it in the Warren G Harding administration he and Herbert Hoover did come up because Herbert Hoover was in his cabinet they did come up with some preliminary laws but the laws that they put into action were mostly technical. They were sort of about divvying up properties and who has which, I forget what it's called, bands or something. Very few of the laws that they implemented had to do with content. Very little of it was about censorship because they weren't that concerned with the messages that were being disseminated. They were concerned with whether or not messages could be disseminated, whether or not radio would really take off. And of course, it was explosive, it changed the world, it led to television, television led to every other source of, like, mass communication that we have. But it also, like, governing that shit, the airwaves, made me think, and this, I, I, this sounds like I'm high, I'm not, but it made me think of, like, governing space. Because now we're in the space age, 
so to speak. Not even with respect to the fact that, like, we're Bezos and Elon Musk have a big hard on about getting to the moon and, like, colonizing space and, like, creating casual vacation space travel. I'm even struck by this in little things that happen every day. Like, I'm on TikTok now. I have a, an account called Books Are Fucking Cool. And I saw there was a function that you could add captions to your videos. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I will. It's only 30 seconds long. Let me go ahead and type out, you know, captions for everything that I'm saying. You don't have to do that. There is software built into the app that listens to your video and creates captions to go along with it. And when I saw that technology in play, I was like, this is the fucking future. And in fact, I've heard, I've, I don't know where I've heard this, but it's come up a few times that part of the reason millennials are so nostalgic is because they ex they were born into the 1990s and over the first 15 years of their life they saw technology just explode in their household probably they went from vhs tapes to dvds and then from dvds to streaming and prior to that if you were sort of a middle class or higher kid you probably went through a couple or, or three generations of video game consoles but yeah pretty soon like space travel will be a casual thing probably probably like 30 years away from that but like who's gonna govern like will there be speed limits if you're flying a spacecraft and also like it is called space so not like what about real estate do you will you be able to buy space in space and if so if you can say oh i own this portion of space how do you identify the parameters like what is the shape of your plot of space and also would it technically be like open waters like let's say it's prohibition and, uh, or something way simpler. Let's say I want to marry a horse and there's no country where it's legal for me to marry a horse. What if I get in a ship and I go to space and I marry the, I have a cer ceremony there. I marry the horse, we bring the turtles. And then when I come back down, can I legally be man and equine? Like if I had a life insurance policy and then I went into space and I married a horse and I came back down and then I died. Would the, ho and would the horse get the policy? When Woodrow Wilson was running for re-election in 1916, he ran on one phrase, kind of like, uh, you know, M Trump ran on Make America Great Again and Obama ran on Hope and Yes We Can. Wilson ran on, a, on, on the line, um, he kept us out of war. And everyone was like, oh yeah, he did. He kept us out of war. You know what? I'm gonna vote for that guy. And you know what happened? As soon as they've, as he got reelected, here's a bit of trivia. In 1927, the death toll for people, Americans who had been poisoned, killed basically because they drank some sort of like fucked up toxic alcohol was 11,700. By the end of the decade, by the end of Prohibition in 1933, it was of course way more than that. And all of those people died because of the political influence of right-wing evangelical Christians. In fact, early on during Prohibition, when it was clear that people were using industrial alcohol to fluff up their cocktails, that was already pretty fucking dangerous. Few things as bad to your organs as industrial alcohol. But what the Anti-Saloon League did, which was led by Wayne Wyler, they acknowledged, they backed down, they, they acceded to reason, and they said, you know what, yes, industrial alcohol is necessary, we do need to continue to produce it, but they got some sort of government, some new protocol whereby extra toxic chemicals were added to industrial strength alcohol to make sure that people did not use it for drinking. In other words, they made it 
just explicitly, pointedly lethal. And why did they do that? They said because if people knew that they had a cocktail with industrial-grade alcohol in it, they would know that it was going to kill them and they wouldn't even attempt to drink it. They said this, they lobbied for this, and they got it done even though they knew that most people buying alcohol did not know what was in it. So right away, very quickly, hundreds of people began to die because they were poisoned by some bottle of whiskey that they thought was normal. And when they died, Wayne Wyler and his cohort said, well, they knew that this was illegal. And it's so fucking frustrating because you see the exact same thing happening just, uh, it's still happening with the war on drugs, but it happened again with the repeal of Roe v. Wade. And I say like, oh, not to get political. I, this is political, but like, I don't know how else to put it. It seems you cannot divest the Republican Party of this conviction that if something is popular and you just forbid it, people will stop wanting it. They'll deny themselves the, the indulgence. But that is never what happens, whether you're criminalizing alcohol or cocaine or abortions. If you make that shit illegal, it will just start to be done in, in an illegal way. It will be done without regulation. It'll be done by people who are not equipped to be doing it. And putting aside the fact that people are going to die, because of this, because obviously if you're a Republican lawmaker and you think people shouldn't have alcohol or shouldn't have cocaine or abortions, you think that those people sh probably should die. But putting that, putting that aside, every time you criminalize something, you are inventing laws and those laws have to be upheld. And in order to uphold those laws, you need to hire more law enforcement. And if you need more people to catch the, the influx of criminals, you need more prisons. The more you put people in prison, the more condemned they are to end up back in prison. There might be no legitimate argument for like the benefits of cocaine, but it's very popular. It's gonna stick around. So rather than just criminalize it and, and you know, create these criminal empires where violence is the coin of the realm, where the person who rises to the top is the person most willing to eliminate his opponent, the recourse really is education. Teach people about like how to responsibly use these drugs if they want to use them, but also teach them about the shit that they're gonna lose. Are you gonna get hurt smoking pot if you're 16? No, you're not gonna get hurt, but you're probably not gonna be that productive. And I understand the skepticism when people are like, oh, you think you're gonna educate addicts away from cocaine? Well, yeah, like a fucking high school module is probably not gonna divest an addict of their appetite for cocaine, but neither is 13 years in prison. Like, what that's gonna do to them, what, what it's gonna do to their family. I don't know, this suddenly got really heavy and heated, but I, I fucking, I'm reading this book, 1920, and uh, it's kind of like a very casual history. It doesn't go deep into anything, but the author is a guy named Burns, and I really appreciate that in his chapter on prohibition, he compared it to a plague. And fucking, yeah, it was a fucking plague. Toxic alcohol was rampant. Organized crime facilitated mass killings. Tons of people's livelihoods were, were taken away because they got arrested for some sort of fucking low-level pedestrian violation of prohibition laws. All right, I'm gonna wrap this up. Didn't talk that much about presidents. What else is there to say about presidents? Warren G. Harding was like the most corrupt ever and is widely regarded still as the worst president of all time. Certainly within a few years of his own presidency, as Burns says, he was ranked 29th of 29. Anyways, I don't know what which, which facet of 1920s culture we'll be exploring in the next episode, if indeed we do that. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time.
If you like what you heard, you can hear more of it and enable more of it to be created by becoming a patron of Thousand Movie Project Podcast. You can go to patreon.com forward slash thousand movie project. And apart from supporting the show, everyone who signs up to become a patron of the project will receive this other short crime novel that I've been working on for a while. I'm not allowed to really do I'm not supposed to do anything with it. I'm not supposed to like disseminate it because my agent and I worked really, really hard on prepping Cuba Fruit as like an authorial debut. And technically it is my first real fucking novel that's out there. But obviously I would be subverting that plan if I like wrote a little novel and then self-published it. So I'm not really gonna share it with anyone, uh, but I will if you're, but I will be sharing it so I'm not really going to be, like, disseminating it, but I will be sharing it with patrons. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.